Now, today we celebrate the event that the Apostle Paul tells us that the very existence of Christianity and in fact your eternal destiny and mine rest upon, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So listen please to the word of God and hear the word for what it is, the word of God and not the word of man. I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think it will be on the screen. If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Did you get that? This is perhaps one of the most significant statements in the entire Bible, if you really understand what it is saying. Because in actual fact, the apostle is saying that if the resurrection did not occur, it will nullify the Bible itself. I want you to get this. Listen carefully to what I am about to say now, please, before you judge what I say. Listen carefully. Christianity could exist without the Bible, but Christianity cannot and would not exist without the physical, literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. You see, that tells us then that our faith is not just some willy-nilly thing, jump-in-the-dark type of faith. Christianity is based upon a historical fact. In fact, today, so many studies have done concerning the validity of the resurrection that there's a consensus now that the resurrection is probably the most attested historical facts of anything that ever happened during that time in history. Nothing can be more validated than the resurrection of Christ for the events that happened during the time of Christ. Isn't that amazing? And some of the liberal scholars are coming to that conclusion now. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact, and that is what our faith is based upon. And I want us to look at that again. I want us to look at it very carefully so that the weight of this truth will bear heavily upon your souls today. Notice what it says. If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. Now I know some of you say the preaching is useless now, but Paul is talking about preaching Jesus Christ. He's saying that if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. That would mean that for me personally, 50 years would go down the drain. I wasted hundreds and even thousands of hours studying the Bible in order to preach it. All that would go down the drain. It would be absolutely useless. All of your witnessing to young people, all of your telling people about Christ, no good, null and void, useless if the resurrection did not occur. Now, half of my 50 years, just about half of my 50 years of preaching has been done here in Calvary Bible Church. So if the resurrection did not occur, that's a waste of time, gone down the drain, everything. But not only that, it says, and your faith is useless. So not only the preacher's preaching, but also your faith, 
your trust in Christ, your commitment to Jesus Christ, null and void, useless. Building this church, giving to missions, serving in Awana, in the Sunday school, all for nothing. The care kitchen, the Christian counseling center, just as much, all for nothing if Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead. That's significant then, isn't it? But how much do we really know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How much do you know about the importance, the fact that Jesus Christ had to be raised physically, not just spiritually, if the resurrection was to have its value? The resurrection of Jesus Christ physically, bodily from the grave is essential to the Christian faith and to your faith and to mine. But it goes on. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Still condemned, still unforgiven, still under the condemnation and judgment of a holy God if the resurrection did not occur. But Paul goes on. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ and also we who are living, of course, right now, are lost. You know, we have some real comforting words in Scripture concerning those who die with faith in Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that there's coming a day when all of us who place faith in Christ, dead or alive, will meet Jesus in the air and we will be with him forever. Isn't that glorious? But he says if the resurrection didn't occur, those who died are lost, just like those who are still alive, they're still lost. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential for the Christian faith. Notice now, he goes on. And if our hope in Christ is, uh, is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. He's saying that even if our faith was true, but if it's only good for now, it'd still be useless. It would still be useless. We must have a faith that carries not only in this world, but in the world beyond. If the resurrection is not true, Paul is saying, all the singing to do, all the glorious singing, we could be singing our way to hell and don't realize it if the resurrection were not true. But today we thank God that it is true. Amen? The resurrection is, in fact, an established historical fact. The very existence of the church demonstrates that as well. And so this resurrection of Christ is a momentous theological doctrine. Jesus is alive after dying for our sins. He is risen and he is Lord. Now, my friends, this is a message worth sharing. This is a message that is worth shouting. It's a message, in fact, that many millions of people have died for. In fact, even right now, people are being killed all over this world because they want to share this gospel message. Do you realize that more people have been martyred for Jesus Christ, for their faith in Christ in this century than all of the centuries combined? Do you realize that? That's happening right now. People are being killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now just suppose that the resurrection didn't occur. All those lives have been wasted, been nothing. Nothing at all. I say again, the resurrection is essential for our salvation. But, but now listen, as awesome and as wonderful as this truth is, because of the fact that it is such a 
deep theological doctrinal truth, many people don't get involved in it. They say, well, that's good. That's good doctrine. That's good theology. But does the resurrection have any impact upon my life right now, today, where I am? Is it only a great doctrinal truth, awesome truth, wonderful truth? But how does it impact me right now, personally? Well, what I want to do this morning in the few minutes that we have, because I know many of you have already got your reservations and all of that, so you're thinking about that food already, but keep that on the cooler, okay? I mean, the back burner for now. We're going to look at the lives of a couple of people who were present when the resurrection occurred. And we're going to see how it affected them then in order to teach us the lesson as to how it affects us now. We're going to look at first at Mary Magdalene. And we're going to Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to that because we're going to look at this word for word, at least section by section. Matthew chapter 28, we're looking at Mary Magdalene. She has been maligned by many. We hope we're going to put the record straight for Mary today. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and, and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his robe was as white as snow. The gods were so shaken from fear of him that they became like dead men. But the angel told the women, Don't be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has been resurrected, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has been raised from the dead. In fact, He's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So, departing quickly from the tomb, with fear and great joy, they ran to tell the disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, Good morning. This is a version that I'm using. All right. Good morning. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. That's Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. One of the first things you see as you read this passage is that the resurrected Christ brings hope to the hopeless and joyful relief to the press. He brings hope to the hopeless and joyful relief to the depressed and dejected. Now, let's look at the text. The first Mary in the passage is introduced as Mary Magdalene. The second Mary is simply said to be the other Mary. Jesus knew quite a number of Marys. Really, he loved that name, Mary. My mother was named Mary as well, but I wouldn't get into that. But anyway, this was just another of several Marys that followed Jesus Christ. Uh, the other Mary mentioned here, though, was probably, well, not probably, because Matthew 27, 56 and John 19, 25 tells us that this other Mary was the mother of James and Joseph, and he was also, uh, I'm sorry, uh, he was the mother of, she was the mother of James and Joseph, all right? And she was also the wife 
of a disciple called Clophus or Cleophus, which we'll talk about on the road to Emmaus, because it appears that he might be this woman's husband. But we'll see that later on. Now, Mary Magdalene, as you read all the scriptures, was a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. The text tells us that she, along with other women, provided for Jesus from this substance. In other words, they cared for Jesus Christ financially, and they traveled around with him. Now, it's interesting when you see where some of these women came from. In Luke chapter 8, it tells us that as Jesus in his early ministry was going throughout the towns, that he came to the area of Magdala. That's why when she says Mary Magdalene, Magdalene is probably not her last name or a son name. It simply means that she was Mary from Magdala, the area or the village of Magdala. But it says that Jesus went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom. And he cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene as well as healing other women of evil spirits and infirmities. It is these women who then immediately started to follow Jesus Christ and to care for him. There's another passage where we actually have the names of these women, but we won't go to that right now. But Mary was a woman who was inflicted with demon possession. Now, when you do a study of demon possession in the Scriptures, as well as from a historical point of view, you will see that that was not a good experience, to say the least. If she were alive today, we would call her crazy. She would be shaken with all kinds of convulsions. She would go around cursing and swearing. We have an instance of that in the book of Acts when one of the demon possession ladies went after Paul, cursing and swearing. She would be wandering all over the street. She would be an outcast. Nobody would be wanting would want to be around her. She would be completely cast off from society. All her friends, all her family would have rejected her. That's the kind of lifestyle that Mary experienced before she met Jesus Christ. But then she met Jesus Christ. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus healed her of all of the demons, even forgave her sins. And all of a sudden, Mary had a new life. Mary had new friends. Mary had a new mission to care for this man who had forgiven her of her sins and healed her of her illness. There was a transformation in Mary's life because she met Jesus Christ. And this is before he was raised from the dead. But Mary's life was transformed because she met Jesus Christ. And friends, that happens today. When anyone truly and sincerely meets Jesus Christ, meaning that they recognize him as the Savior of the world, that he is God's son and that he was sinless and that he gave himself as a penalty for their sin. When you place your faith in him in such a way, you become a child of God. Your life is changed. You will never be the same again. Mary Magdalene was not the same again. Now, some people have identified Mary as a prostitute. In fact, many preachers have preached that Mary was a prostitute. But there's nowhere in Scripture that holds that to say that is true. I did some research on that as to why that was taught. And what I came up with was that somewhere around the 4th to the 6th centuries, there was a pope. And he preached a message one time on Mary. And he said that Mary was a harlot. Mary was a prostitute. 
And after that, everybody was using him as a source. But the Bible never mentions it, the Bible never says it. So I do not believe that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. She was a demon-possessed woman who was released from her illness and her sin by the power of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and it changed her life completely. And that gives us a reason for hope, doesn't it? If Jesus was able to change the life of a person with that kind of a background, don't you think he can do it today? No matter what your background may be, no matter what your experiences might have been, or is right now, right now, you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he can turn your life around. He can give you a new vision for life. He can give you new friends. Mary Magdalene had a whole new circle of friends who loved her and who cared for her. It's a wonderful experience for Mary. God can do it today if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. He can change your life, no matter how has it been. He can make you a new person. Now, as I said, Mary followed Jesus all around, caring for him, providing for her, and providing for him, and so on. Things going beautiful for Mary. But then, all of a sudden, things began to change. Something happened. Mary's new life and dreams were abruptly changed, were abruptly shattered. I'm sure that she was thrilled and excited when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on this donkey. And all the multitudes shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. She probably joined in singing those praises to Jesus Christ. And even as they threw their clothing and palm branches before him. At last Mary must have said, Israel is recognizing Jesus as, her, as the Messiah, the anointed one, just as I have done. And she was rejoicing in that fact, I believe. But then she learned that very next evening that Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and he faced six false trials in one night. The Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, trumped up false charges against him. They sentenced him to death. And Mary Magdalene was aware of all of these things. She was probably present when many of these things happened. She heard the crowds, crowds when they cried out, when Pilate asked, Whom shall I release unto you? She shouted, Jesus! But because of the volume of the crowd around him, all she could hear was, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! She was right there in that crowd, shouting to release Jesus. The crowd overcame her as they exclaimed, Crucify him! Crucify him! She probably saw his face all beaten and bruised, and according to the Scriptures, his face could not even be recognized as a human being where it was so disfigured through the beatings that he received. But she saw him in that condition. She followed him through the streets as he took his cross through the Via Dolorosa going up to Golgotha's hill. She was there when they laid him out on the cross and they drove spikes through his hands and through his ankles. She stood at the cross when they were crucifying him her heart was breaking every moment as she went through that all. But she was there, Mary Magdalene. Now she was a woman filled with sadness, filled with lost hope. Seems that everything that was hers is being lost now. John tells us that Mary stood by the cross along with the other women. Can you picture Mary 
after having experienced such a changed life because of this man, now seeing this man treated in such a way, standing at the foot of the cross, looking up into his face, the tears streaming down her eyes, the one who had given her such a changed life and hope is now being killed, now dying right in front of her eyes. Can you imagine her tears, the heartbreak that she was experiencing? She stayed at the cross. Most of the disciples, other than her and John, they had gone away. But she stood at the cross. Matthew says she stood there looking on from afar. And when Jesus gave up his spirit and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Mary was there. She heard him. She heard him say those words. She went there even when Joseph of Arimathea came and took Jesus' body down from the cross and very reverently and carefully laid in his own new tomb. She followed him there. And the Bible says she was sitting opposite the tomb, watching everything taking place. And she must have been numb with grief. The person she loved more than anyone else in the world had died a terrible, awful, shameful, humiliating death right before her eyes. It was probably the darkest moment in her life. But then, when you turn the scriptures again, the scripture says that as the sun arose, early in the morning, Mary Magdalene saw the stone rolled away from the tomb. This is a magnificent statement here. The text says in one of the versions that on the third day, the first day of the week, another translation says after the Sabbath, another says on the eighth day, another modern version says on Sunday, they came to the tomb. But notice what it says. She came along with the other Mary to see the tomb. They brought spices that they might come and anoint him. But when they arrived at the tomb, they were startled to feel the earth move under their feet as an earthquake occurred, and the earthquake shook the ground. And then suddenly they saw an angel of the Lord descend out of the sky. He came and he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. I like that. That must have been a real funny, humorous, comic scene to see that happen. Just came and sit down there. You know, I, could just, I would love to have been there. He sat on it. What an awesome sight that must have been to see this heavenly creature. Matthew goes on to say, his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The Roman guards were stunned. The Bible says they shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They fainted dead away. And NASA would say they pass out. They pass out. They were just gone. They pass out because of the presence of this angel. But then the angel looked at the women, and I think especially at Mary, and he said, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Now we can understand why the angel rolled the stone away. Because remember, Jesus was gone. He was gone. So the angel didn't roll the stone away to let Jesus out. He rolled the stone away so Mary could see in. You see the point? He rolled the stone away so Mary could see in. 
He didn't say here's where he lies. The text says where the Lord lay. Actually, Greek says where he laid. Jesus was long gone. He was long gone. He did not need to have that stone removed. But the angel came and he moved the stone not to let Jesus out, but to allow Mary to see in. Now notice what it says. The angel rolled back the stone, but he told the women, he is not here. As I say it again, and I want to repeat this because this is the thrust of this passage. He didn't roll back the stone to let Jesus out, for he's already gone. He rolled back the stone so that Mary could see. I like this quote from someone. They said, and I quote, the heavy, ponderous stone that sealed the hundred, the heavy, ponderous stone that sealed Jesus in the confines of that rock-walled tomb was but a pebble compared to the rock of ages inside. Isn't that great? I love that. I love that. So here's the point. God rolled away the stone to give Mary hope. That's the key. He didn't roll away the stone to let Jesus out. He rolled away the stone to give Mary hope. The resurrection provides hope for those who trust in Jesus Christ. That's one of the practical lessons we need today. I was blessed so much when I visited Sister Beverly yesterday morning. I was trying to find words to comfort her. It's very difficult, as I told her. I said, you know, no words that I say or anyone else. Or anything we do can really comfort you. The only one who can comfort you is the God of all comfort. And she understood that. She knew that. And I started to say something. I started to say, Bev, do you know that the resurrection, and before I finished it, she finished the sentence for me. The resurrection provides hope. She was already resting in that comfort that God alone could give. It provides hope. And in all of her sorrow, in all of her pain, she was hanging on to that hope of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Friends, listen. The resurrection means that the same God who rolled away a stone for Mary can give you hope in despair. In your times of depression, God can give you hope. That's the one that Beverly is holding on to right now. Listen, he can and he will roll away every stone of fear, of doubt, of uncertainty, or disappointment that leads to depression or hopelessness. Now, you know, we've been reading of the sense of hopelessness and desperation in our society, in our community today. People are even committing suicide. You see... They need to realize that the stone has been rolled away so they could see inside. It's empty. Jesus is alive and he is Lord. And he can provide all of the resources, all of the strength we need to undergo any times of desperation, of problems or difficulties in our life. No matter what it may be, the hardships, no matter how difficult it may be, Jesus gives us hope. He is alive and he is Lord. Let's look into the tomb. To see hope there because Jesus is not there. He's risen and he's living in the lives of those who place faith in him. So maybe you can relate to Mary today. Maybe your hopes and dreams have been shattered. Friends, I want you to know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that there is hope beyond this life. 
as well as hope in this life. Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. So the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope with this in this life as well as it gives us hope for the life to come. In this life, he will forgive our sins the same way he forgave Mary's sin. He will give us a new life the same way he gave new life to Mary. He'll give us new friends. He'll give us a new vision. He'll give us a new passion for living in this life. But he also gives us hope of the life to come. John 10.10 says, Jesus speaking, I have come that they may have life. And what? They may have it more abundantly. That's because... The grave is empty, and Jesus is gone. He's not there. He's alive, and he is Lord. Amen? But not only that. The resurrection also brings spiritual light to those who are experiencing spiritual darkness. Let's look at a passage now that deals with the amazed disciples in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 27, looking at the experience of the disciples on their way to Emmaus. Now Luke 24 gives us this story. They probably left Jerusalem very early in the morning, just after, around the same time that Mary and those were going to the sepulchre, to the grave, or shortly thereafter. In other words, this event begins in the morning the same way the event with Mary began in the morning. But this event goes through the entire day. Entire day. We look at it in a moment. The, the text tells us there were two of them and that they were traveling that same day. The same day means the same day of the resurrection. This was the first resurrection day. And they were going from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. Verse 13 tells us that it was seven miles journey on a one-way trip. Seven miles. Historically, students of the Bible have simply called these men Emmaus disciples, although one of them was named. As they were walking along, the scripture says in verse 14, they talked together of all those things which had happened. They were discussing the events of the crucifixion and the, and, and the story that the women had told them that they went to the grave and Jesus was not there. They said somebody had stolen the Bible. They, it's an amazing thing. You, do you know who the, the people were who did not believe in the resurrection at the beginning? It was the apostles. You read it again and again. It was the apostles who did not believe. They had to be convinced. But here, they were talking about it now. These two disciples were talking about all the things that happened. The things they were talking about were the arrest of Jesus, his trials, his beatings, his torture, his crucifixion. Of course, they're probably asking questions like, how can this happen? We really thought he was the Messiah, the long-awaited anointed one. How could the Messiah die on a cross like a common criminal? Their hopes were dashed, just like Mary's. All of the things that they were expecting and hoping for went with the death of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 17, as they talked about it, they were sad. The Greek word means they were gloomy. They were sullen with a mournful appearance. These people were really down 
as we would say today. Like Mary Magdalene, the dreams and hopes that died with Jesus on Golgotha's hill. And they were depressed. But then verse 15 says, As they were walking along, while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus Jesus himself drew near and went with them. In other words, Jesus just appeared and started to walk along with these two disciples. Verse 16 says, Their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. In other words, God himself caused spiritual blindness, as it were, to come upon these people. It was not the time for Jesus to be revealed as the risen Christ to these men. And we're going to see why in a moment. So God temporarily kept them from knowing Jesus' identity. They assumed he was just another Jewish pilgrim coming from Jerusalem after the Passover celebration. But then Jesus asked, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another? In other words, what are you talking about? I said, what are you all talking about? Now, some Bible scholars says that this caused the two disciples to stop and to look at Jesus with a surprised faces. He says, are you the only one in Jerusalem and have not known the things that happened in the past couple of days? Now he says, man, where you been? You been hiding under a rock or something? Are you the only one around here who doesn't know about what is going on? They were really amazed that Jesus didn't know about what was happening. Now Jesus, I like this. This is really humorous. This is a whole humorous thing here. Jesus fooled these people. He playing with them. He's skylarking with them. Jesus asked them, what things? What things, Jack? What things? Then the two disciples says to Jesus, we're talking about the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth and how he was condemned to death and crucified. Now note what they said in this verse, verse 21. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. That was their hope. But now their hope was shattered. They even told him about the women in their company who went to the tomb and they were astonished by saying that Jesus was not there. And they came back and said they had seen a vision of angels who said that Jesus was alive. The report also of how they went to the tomb and corroborated the women's story. But the text says him, Jesus, they did not see. And they were looking at him at the moment they said him, they did not see. Now, they did not see him either, although they saw him. They did not see him, although they saw him. Spiritually speaking, that is significant, and we can see that in a moment. Jesus then throws the light of Scripture upon them. He enlightens their darkened minds. In verse 25, it says, Jesus speaking to them, O foolish ones! And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He says, oh, you crazy people. You've got the Old Testament. You've got the Bible. You read it and still you do not understand it. You have the Bible. I am all through that Bible and still you do not see me. That's what he's saying. He says, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? He's saying that's what the Old Testament said. That's what the Bible said. 
Haven't you guys read the Old Testament, he's asking? Don't you know that God's prophets foretold all of this a long time ago? Now listen to what he says in verse 27. And beginning at Moses, this is the beginning of what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, that's all the prophetic literature in the Old Testament, Jesus expounded, I love that word. Today we'll say he exegeted the scriptures. He interpreted scriptures to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, he went through the entire Old Testament. Boy, I'd love to have been there. I wish they were selling DVDs or cassettes in that day. I would pay anything to get one of those. To hear this expositor expositing the Bible to tell about himself. That's what Jesus was doing. And he began with the very first book in the Bible. Very first book. Jesus preached the gospel of his own death, burial, and resurrection using the entire Old Testament to do it. Now, as I said, I would love to have been there when Jesus did that. But I want you to see the truth here. Jesus is in the Bible. We should never go to the Scriptures and don't see Jesus. If we do, our spiritual minds are blinded. They speak of me, he says. That long seven-mile walk must have gone by real quick for these guys. And I know some of you, you know, we can't stand 20 minutes to hear the gospel preach. These fellas were talking about it for the seven-mile journey. And they wanted to hear more. Because the scripture says, when they drew near to Emmaus, Jesus acted as though he was going on further with them. See, Jesus playing with them again. Apparently he's going, he just wants to see what they're going to do. They couldn't get enough, though, and they weren't about to let the sermon end. Verse 29 says, they constrained. Text means they begged Jesus to stay with them, to give them more. To give them more. They wanted to hear more of the scriptures explained in the show about Jesus Christ. Then text says, they went inside and they sat at the table. Jesus took the bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now this was not necessarily the Lord's Supper. This was just a meal. That's how they normally did but then something amazing happened. Look at verse 31. It says their eyes were opened and they knew him. See, that's what should happen when we read the scriptures. Our eyes should be opened and we see Jesus Christ. God removed those spiritual blinders, but instantaneously, just as they recognized him, he was gone. He was gone just like that. That was another indication of the difference of his resurrected body. Jesus could move around at will. He could appear and disappear at will. He didn't have to say, Scotty, beam me up. He could just wish it and it goes. It just happened. All right? He vanished from their sight. Now, I love what he say in verse 32. Did not our hearts burn within us? Now, you know, I have to take Zantac every day. Because I get heartburn. I have this problem. But this is one heartburn I would not mind having. I would not take Zantac with this kind of heartburn. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And listen now, while he opened the scriptures to us. Friends, see, that's what it's all about. Even when we gather like that, 
That's one of the main things for the scriptures to be open to us. Not just to have fun and to jump up and enjoy. Now we should enjoy ourselves. But we must remember as always the important things is the opening up of the scriptures. Because that's how we see Jesus. Jesus is revealed through the scriptures. That's what he's being taken here. In other words, Jesus can bring light to your spiritual darkness right now. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And when he left, you know, he says, I'm going to send back someone just like me. And he's going to be in you. And he's going to teach you all things concerning me. That's what he said. And that Holy Spirit lives within us, who enlightens us, who illuminates us, so we could see Jesus Christ in the scriptures. That's all because of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. These men's hope were all lost, shattered. But then they saw Jesus in the scriptures. Scriptures tell us they turned right back around, went back to Jerusalem with joy to tell others what had happened. These Emmaus darkness, these Emmaus disciples began to walk in the darkness of the morning, but that darkness was removed in the dawning of that same day when Jesus revealed himself to us. You know, Jesus, who opened the eyes, their eyes, to the light of the scriptures, can open our eyes as well. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have what? The light of life. That's, and that's why he enlightens our spiritual darkness. When we allow Jesus Christ as the resurrected one to come into our life, he lightens our life. He enlightens us as we read the scriptures and we see him in it. And the more we see Jesus in the scriptures, the more we become like him. We go from glory to glory as we allow the Spirit of God to bring Jesus to our view through the scriptures. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 concerning the word, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And if you will bring your questions, no matter what they may be, all of your concerns to, word, to the word of God, Jesus Christ, through that word, will shed light on your life. Jesus is there to enlighten us, to give us spiritual enlightenment in the midst of spiritual darkness. All you have to do is let the resurrected Christ into your life today. Now, there's one other one, but I'll just mention this very quickly. Another individual, it was Thomas. His story is told in John 20. As we all know, Thomas was what he called today a skeptic. Some would say he was agnostic when it came to the resurrection. He couldn't say it was true or it wasn't true, although he didn't believe it was true. Remember when Jesus first came in the first night? The scripture says that they were hidden behind the door. The doors were locked and Jesus appeared in their midst. Now everybody says he walked through the door. The Bible didn't say that. The Bible says the door was closed and he appeared. He didn't say he walked through the door. Jesus didn't have to walk through the door in order to appear. You understand what I'm saying? He could appear at will anytime in any way he wanted. But he appeared in the midst of them. And he showed that he was flesh and blood. But one person was missing. That was Thomas, the twin. 
he was missing. When the disciples went and told Thomas, by the way, you see that's what happens when you miss coming to church. Sometimes you could miss the presence of Jesus Christ. Right? All right. But he came the next Sunday evening. Eight days later, the scripture tells us. Same place, same situation, doors locked. But this time, Thomas was there. Now all through the week, these guys were trying to convince him that Jesus had risen. But he wouldn't listen. He was still a doubter. Skeptic. Now a lot of people condemn Thomas. I don't. I'm so glad he doubted. I'm so glad he doubted, you see, because what Jesus did, and Jesus didn't condemn him. When Jesus appeared, the first thing he said, he didn't even say to any of the other guys. He said, hey, Thomas, come here. See, he knew what happened. He said, come here. Put your fingers here. Put your fingers here. See, it is me, flesh and blood. Put your fingers. And then Thomas, I don't believe he actually touched Jesus in that. I believe he just looked at him. He fell to his feet and he took hold of it. And he says, my Lord and my God. Now I want you to understand the significance of this. This is probably the highest demonstration of faith in the gospel of John. Because this man was a Jew. This man was brought up to believe that there's only one God. Only one God. He was taught that all of his life. For a Jew to look at another man and say that you are God, that was one of the most gigantic steps anyone could do. Talking about a leap of faith, that was a leap of faith that he made. He fell at Jesus' feet and he says, my Lord and my God. And that's what the resurrection should result in as we look at him. We should fall down at the feet of the crucified Christ and says, my Lord and my God. Now, as it goes on here, it tells us that... Uh, Jesus told them that you, you believe because you have seen. You believe because you have seen. He said, but blessed are those who what? Who have not seen and yet believe. See, that's where we come in. That's where we come in. Jesus says we are blessed when we believe what the scriptures say about him. Faith is the only way we can enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. The writer of the Hebrews tells us, that we must believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's faith. Relationship with God depends upon our faith in this resurrected Lord. Not works, not how much you give to the church, not how much you do for the church, but your faith in Jesus Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone equals means that you are a child of God. Anything you add to faith destroys your relationship with God. Because it's only in faith that we have this relationship with him. It's all of grace, my friends. All of grace. And that's what the resurrection is all about. That's what this Lord's Day is all about. That Jesus Christ is alive. He's not in the grave. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive and he's Lord. The big question today, is he your Lord? And you can only enter into that relationship as you place your faith in him. So bow with me, please, in a word of prayer before we have our closing hymn. And I want to ask you a simple question. 
And you don't have to answer me this question, but answer it to the Lord. Is Jesus Christ the resurrected Lord? Is he your savior? Remember on Good Friday, we looked at the scriptures and Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. The work is done. It is finished. Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? This resurrected Christ, have you let him into your life? If you've never done that, I'm going to ask you to do that right now and where you are. And remember, it's all through faith. It's all through belief. You have to do nothing else but place your faith and trust in the resurrected Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. And you can do that right there in your seat, the quietness of your soul. You can enter into this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Will you do it right now? Just let him know that you really place your faith in him because you believe that he died in your place and he was raised again for your justification. Do that right now in the silence of your heart and in the presence of a triune God. And if you do that, please let me or one of the pastors know that. We'd like to rejoice with you because of your placing faith in Christ today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that it does bring light to a darkened soul. We pray today that someone here would come out of that darkness and into your glorious light by placing faith, faith alone, in Christ alone as their Savior. And all of God's people said,